0: Hi, homies. I'm Ale. You're listening to Three Homegirls No Gun, where we explain all points of views on gun violence prevention. Have a great time listening. Hi, my name is Juliet.
1: My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I go to Franklin
2: High School. Hello, my name is Jamila Soto. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I go to Greenland Park High.
0: Hi, my name is Ale. My pronouns are they, them, they, them, and I go to Franklin High School. So today we have a very
1: special guest. Our special guest today is Congressman Jimmy Gomez. How are you feeling, Jimmy Gomez?
3: Good, thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. So Congressman Jimmy Gomez, it proudly represents California's 34th Congressional District. So that district consists of um, towns like Kylan Park, Echo Park, Chinatown, El Serino, and Eagle Rock. He is an assistant whip in the 116th Congress and a member of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform and the powerful House Committee on Ways and Means. Congressman Gomez is also a member of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus, congressional progressive caucus and a vice chair of the future forum
0: yes first off we wanted to say how glad we are that you're safe after Wednesday's capital raid and that we want to congratulate you on being re-elected for congress that's such a huge feat so thank you very much um would you mind telling us a little bit like about your background and what sparked your interest in government
3: yeah no thank you so much uh thank you for inviting me to be here um I grew up the youngest of six of immigrant parents. My parents uh, uh, were born in Mexico and four of my siblings were born in Mexico. And they immigrated to the U.S. in the early 70s. And then my brother Javier and I were born here. And um, like a lot of immigrant parents, a lot of the ones that I represent, you know, work four or five jobs to make ends meet, um, worked every, all the time. Uh, any job that they could get in order to, you know, put a food uh, food on the table and put a roof over our, our family's head. Um, but like a lot of families, even in this area, um, the rent got too high and we got actually forced out of Orange County where we were originally living. And my parents moved to Riverside where they actually could afford to buy a house. And that's how we ended up there. And um, as I got older, I kind of saw how different friends were able to different things they had health insurance and my family did not they would go on family vacations and my family did not they would they would um you know when they would get sick and they would something would happen to them they'd go to the hospital we didn't do that we'd always have to do home remedies to see if we got better first before we ever gone to the hospital. And when I was about seven years old, I ended up getting sick with pneumonia, spent a week in the hospital. And between my parents missing um, shifts at work because they wanted somebody to be with me 24 seven to um, to the hospital bills, it, it almost bankrupt my family. And at seven years old, how I know that is that my siblings told me we weren't getting Christmas presents that year uh, because of my hospital stay. So it was something that it was, um, it was something that uh, I became very, very, very much aware of, um, you know, the society I was living in, why are things the way they are, or at least questioning why the things are the way they are. But I didn't know how to express it. And as I got older and over, you know, it kind of showed up in my, you know, my academics. I wasn't the greatest student. I actually, uh, my first quarter of high school, I got a, I had a whole 0.83 GPA. Um, it was uh, five F's and a, and a D. And I ended up, um, not wanting to drop out, I kind of turned it around that second quarter, ended up getting five A's and and a B. So it's a, I could turn it on and turn it off when I wanted to, but I had no plans on going to college. I ended up graduating high school and working at Subway in Target. and Target. Um, but I realized I was going to be working those jobs the rest of my life, which is not um horrible at least i had a job um but it's not the life i wanted unless i I changed my life and a good friend of mine from growing up um, took me to a community college i applied for one class it was an anthropology got a b so i decided to go full-time and i I actually went full-time and um, i was a biochem major i wanted to be a doctor i wanted to give back help people who didn't have health insurance like i didn't have health insurance and help families like mine and um that was my main purpose. And one of the things I ended up doing is um, finally getting my grades up and joining the, the Honor Society. And I went to a conference. And at that conference there was a workshop on political activism. And um, that workshop made me kind of gave me the idea of like one person could make a difference on, on any issue or in their community or in their government. And I had the courage for some reason. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I ran for president of the Honor Society and, and I beat the guy who was a veteran who was way older than me. And I beat him by like a single, uh, uh, one or two votes. It was really close. And I became president of the Honor Society. And that following year, that was at the end of one year. And the following year, I was trying to get my classes in organic chem and everything was booked. And he basically said, why don't you go into um, change your major? He said, you should go into politics. And I said, well, I don't have any family connections. I don't have any money. I don't have the right, like, pedigree, nothing, how am I gonna go into politics? And he said, no, you'll figure it out. He said, you can work on healthcare issues in politics. You can fight for people to get healthcare coverage to make sure that there's no, uh, no language barriers. You can make sure that, he said, politics is a means to an end. And I, and I understood what he was saying. And I always cared. Of, I always thought this country was unique. And I knew that if I stayed in Mexico, my family stayed in Mexico, we would have had very different lives um, completely. In Mexico, you can't even buy a house unless you save up, like it's hard to even get a loan, right? To, um, it's hard to go to college. It's like, there's no infrastructure like there was here. So we would have been staying on the, the ranch that my parents grew up in, right? One room, adobe house with a star, straw roof. So it would have been a very, very different lifestyle. And um, so, I don't know, I just decided to, okay, I'm gonna do this and I, I switched my major the rest is kind of history. We ended up transferring the, the following year, graduated um, top 10% of my class at UC, UCLA um, in political science, minor in urban urban planning, public policy, and then um, went off to Kennedy School, Harvard Kennedy School of Government after that um, as my master's in public policy. And that's what I dedicated myself to, working in labor unions, working, trying to give people the right to, to vote, um, holding elected officials accountable for their promises for the working people. And then I also became back into my first interest is trying to fight for better healthcare for people. Ended up going to work as a uh, political director for a nurses union. And I did that for a couple of years, more than that, I think almost three years, four years. And then I ended up um, ended up going, uh, getting elected to the state assembly where I did a lot of things. Wherever I saw the problems, I tackled them. Healthcare, uh, climate change, housing gun violence. This was, I got elected right after Sandy Hook, or got elected right before Sandy Hook, and then I got sworn in um, in December of 2012, so right right a few weeks before Sandy Hook. And we ended up, um, I ended up passing legislation to combat cl- uh, gun violence, and it wasn't easy, but it, we did a lot, we passed a lot of pieces of legislation, and it's a work in progress. So um, that's what I've, I've been doing. Um, you know, just to kind of acknowledge the attack on the Capitol, you know, and, and what we're, we're seeing right now is a um, some folks, mainly Italy, the, the president, is telling his supporters that the election was stolen from them, that it was uh, like there was voter fraud all across the country or in, in states in certain states, um, but only in the presidential race, which was a lie. Court case after court case, Republican judge and Democrats who were who are appointed by him throughout those cases. But people believe those lies, and those lies are um, creating um, dang- a very, very dangerous situation that you saw on, on uh, Wednesday with the, uh, the siege of the U.S. Capitol. They tried to steal the presidential election from Joe Biden to try to stop the democratic process. And why is it dangerous? Because all of a sudden, then we will not be ruled by, by laws, but by men. And if they were able to overturn it on that day for another four years, what, what stops them from saying he should be president for life, right? That he should never like, then all of a sudden we're living and not in a democratic republic, but we're living in, in a one man dictatorship. And that is often done at the tip of a gun. Um, and a lot of them had guns, um, homemade uh, bombs, and and they were there to stop the process. They didn't stop it. Joe Biden will become president and we will dismantle, I believe, the, the uh, racist white supremacy that's been thriving under this presidency. And that will be our goal. But I want to let you everyone know that we're going to we're not going to stop. Um, our democracy has survived in you know, hundreds of years, a civil war, social upheaval, and and we're going to uh, keep going. But it's um, I know we're here to talk about uh, gun violence and, uh, and it's an important, important issue. So I want to thank you for that. But I did want to acknowledge what occurred on, on a Wednesday. Thank you for doing this.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for the enlightenment. During these hectic times, I feel like It was really important to hear from a congressman and like to kind of hear the ideals that are upcoming right now since there's not too many bright ones um but thank you for that
3: thank you
2: yeah thank you so we're going to move on to the the questions now so starting off considering our homicide rates which are an all-time high what are some future actions you might take into consideration
3: well thank you for that for that question um you know california has one of the the strictest um, gun laws in the nation, um, uh, gun violence in our community isn't just about access to lethal weapons, even though that's a big part of it, especially illegal weapons, but it's also um, what they call the lethal, you know, uh, we have, um, how many of you have heard of um, Father, Father uh, Gregory Boyle, Greg Boyle from Homeboy Industries? He says that violence is often the lethal absence of hope, right? And right now, a lot of people in um Los Angeles throughout the country don't have a lot of hope because of the pandemic, because of the lack of leadership to tackle that pandemic at the national level, um, high unemployment. Um, people are struggling to make ends meet people are in food lines that um, that that loss of hope that things will get better is um, is driving a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the desperation that we're, we're seeing, um, you know, everything from poverty, the, the divide between the rich and the poor, mental, mental health, this, you know, it is all kind of interconnected, but I, I believe that um, gun violence is a, it is a um, public health emergency that needs to be treated as such. We need to do um, pathways out of violence through education and employment and community support. Um, also, uh, Father Greg Boyle, uh, have you met him? Any of you have met him? Well, I have to make sure that you, um, get a chance to meet him. He's, his office homeboys industries right in downtown LA. And he said, nothing stops a bullet like a gun. Like he said, nothing stops a bullet like a job. And, um, and a lot of things is that's how do you kind of do that? How do you make sure that people feel that hope? Um, and you change the way they, they think. And that's what he's done with, um, Homeboy Industries for for years, but I'll be honest. There's also um, a lot of um, a lot of loopholes, right? We can have a like here in California, we have background checks, we have. Um, but there's new guns that are coming uh, about. You know, there's the ghost guns, right? That it's like piecemeal that are meant to avoid um, meant to avoid um, tracing. Um, also, if you buy a gun somewhere else and you return to California, nobody will be able with uh, in a different state that has less uh, lax, uh, they have more lax gun laws. They're going to be able to transport them in. So there's a lot to do at the federal level and um, we got to we got to do that. But um, it is uh, one of the things we do have to do, though, is get out of this pandemic. It, it seems counter like what does gun violence have to do with this pandemic? people are desperate, right? There's anxiety out there. And the way we get out of this pandemic and get people back um, and we get people back to work is by making sure people are taking the vaccine and we get it out as quickly as possible. So you can go back to school. Your parents, if they're not working, can go back to work, um, that people can feel hope again. And right now, a lot of people don't feel hope.
0: Yes, thank you, Congressman. I feel like that's such it's so much needed right now to have hope because I feel like a lot of people they're struggling and at this point they're like well this pandemic seems like it's going to go on forever but thank you for saying about the vaccine especially as well
3: well one of the things that uh you're in high school all, all of you when I was in high school high school seemed forever four years was an eternity right it was it was uh your lives are changing you're changing your experiences are changing and you're thinking about like after graduation and that four years seems like a lifetime almost Um, but when you get a little older you realize for like and that's why it's probably even more difficult this pandemic for you that you're that that one year a year and a half living in the pandemic seems so much longer than a person that's you know like my age right or in their 30s or in their 20s for um the, the pandemic for us seems still long and still brutal but it's a lot shorter than what you're experiencing so hang in there I know it, it's definitely tough thank you so much so jumping off of Johnny Lex's question I have seen
1: that gun violence is very frequent and underprivileged and under-resourced areas, so Mm -hmm. I wanted to know what Congress's plan is to conclude this gun violence in in our communities and our surrounding areas.
3: Yeah, one of the things that we need to do though is, is really first we need universal background checks um and there is a bipartisan background check act that is um it's called hr8 that we hope to um pass it again out of the, the house and get it to the senate and then if uh, biden's elected he can sign it to to law um background checks shouldn't be it shouldn't be a political issue right you're just making sure that the people who um who that shouldn't have access to guns don't have it, right? People who have violent histories, people who have committed crimes, um, people who have mental illness, that we want to make sure that um, they don't have access to um, to to weapons. Um, there's also, um, there are gangs in, in our underprivileged neighborhoods and, and those neighborhoods deserve to have more resources, right? Uh, we want to make sure that they have better schools for a long time. The schools in underserved communities were worse, right? And that's why one of the things that I, I fight for is what they call equity in in in, in spending. Uh, the areas that have the most um, need deserve the most help. Ayana Presley says, you know, the people. Cl- closest to the pain should be closest to the power it's it's the same idea is that the folks who are disproportionately impacted by a particular issue should have more resources right so the areas of art that I represent that are um, being devastated or in South LA in different areas with gun violence do need more resources when it comes to combating poverty when it comes to education when it comes to um you know public safety that is focus on prevention right Instead, of, so there's a lot of things that we, we need to to do and that's kind of tackling some of the, the root causes um, at the same time we need to go after uh, the legal gun and the legal gun market that is pretty huge there's so many loopholes um, and we need to hold people accountable on that um, here in California we've taken a lot of steps which the country looks at California and the laws that we pass as an example but unless it's unless people can't go to Nevada or Arizona to buy their gun and come back here, we're gonna keep running into that same problem that they're gonna they're gonna go somewhere else. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of work to do, um, especially on the mental health side of the equation.
0: Yes, I 100% agree with that, especially that these communities need so much more than what they're currently getting. And that's what's really gonna prevent the majority of these incidents from happening. Yeah. And going on from that, what is the most common or aspect you see in places where gun violence happens the most?
3: It, gun violence—it almost hits every every community differently, right? Um, there's like the the criminal act of gun violence where people are using it to you know there's gang gun violence there's people that are using it to um in, in a criminal act and they kill somebody and there's the the white supremacists that use it to intimidate it, and there's people that do it to go and cause cause uh mass casualties right we all remember las vegas um we all remember um sandy hook um even out here in in the Inland Empire, where you had that person, I think they ran into a government building and, and shot people. So different types of gun violence have to be it has to be tackled differently. But a lot of people, and people forget, a lot of people actually, kids die in gun violence right at their home because it's their the parent leaves their gun out on the, uh, you know loaded and access. When I was in the state legislature, I ended up. Um, And that's why I'm talking about. You have to go after the gun violence in different ways, right? In different ways. And um, when I was in the legislature, I was looking at. Most people don't know this, but there's no liability. You can't like you can't sue a gun manufacturer for the use of their their gun, or you can't sue a person. Like a person can, like. And it's it's interesting. Um, Most people don't know this, but it's harder, like if you have a trampoline or a pit bull, you would more likely not get, um, uh, you know, mortgage insurance or, or, uh, or rent or what they call homeowner insurance protection if you had one of those two things, right? Because they're dangerous. People can go in, they can jump on the trampoline or, and then break their leg or their dog, attack somebody. And so that's things that they say you can't have that at your home if you want to have um, homeowner's insurance. Where you can, ha- but you can have a gun at your house, right? Even though a gun is uh, is just as dangerous as a trampoline, or or more so, right? Or than a or a pit bull, and um, and a lot of people, actually or a lot of kids, lose their lives by accessing their parents' guns. So I passed a law, and it was one of the few laws that passed and got signed by. Um, Governor Brown back in 2013 was um, it said that if a parent knowingly So I tried first trying to do a require gun owners to get liability insurance. And that one was really hard and um, we weren't going to be able to do it. So I switched the idea to anybody who leaves a gun out um, that they knowingly will leave it out where a child can get a hold of it. Then they can be brought up on on a criminal act and that had never been done right except like criminal penalty um a few parents a few people have been um prosecuted under that law here in california and it was one of the few laws that actually passed into into um got passed and signed by the by the um governor that year um it's interesting most people don't like know this but i was i was digging out some emails and i found an email from rashida to back then i totally totally forgot it but she was a state legislator in michigan and she contacted me to discuss gun laws um, back then and we had this whole conversation about my law but that's one of it ghost guns that's another one right ghost guns allow them to uh get these kits in the mail that one piece is not a gun but when you put the pieces together then you have a, a gun that's non-traceable but it's just as deadly we, we have to take care of that problem there's also here in california we did um, try to limit the size of the magazine magazines to like 10 and then at the same time limit the number of guns anybody could purchase um, another thing we could do is that you can't just get a, a get a license to buy a gun but you need a license to buy bullets right that's another idea that i think will help limit the the gun violence that we see, um, but the 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 violence varies from community to community. But there definitely needs to be um, uh, uh, overall um, strategic um, policy when it comes to gun violence. That's why guns like the organizations like the Brady Campaign are great organizations that have been working on this issue for a long time. Um, Moms Demand Action; those are good organizations that are very thoughtful in, a, in, a, in their response to, to gun violence and, and legislation that needs to get passed.
2: Well, I think it was like, I really admire how you guys are taking consideration like the youth concerns. So you guys are actually putting like, it's like, life in action like actually taking consideration that because like that's really important mainly like here in low-income communities like when kids grow up and like they're scared so they go into like gang gangs and stuff to feel protected and stuff so i think it's really important how that's being implemented into the laws or the bills that are being passed and adding on basically going back in a way is one of the questions was um what was your initial thought on like the background checks like before everything was passed like on the fire officer, like
3: the kind of- oh, I was completely um for it, I was always for background checks. It's one something that not like the American people, the vast majority of American people support what you end up having. Um, and it makes sense, right? Because what you want to do is know who's actually has a gun, and a lot of the NRIA types think it's because we want to know who has a gun so we can go and get their guns when, when, um you know, if something like the government's going to come take their guns and tyranny is going to reign and that that's their like thinking, right? it's like, no, it's, it's not. Um, We want to just make sure that it doesn't get into somebody who's irresponsible, right? Who, who um, plans to do something bad. And at the same time, if they do something that's violent uh, with the gun or they kill somebody, we do want to be able to track them down, right? That's, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you can drive a, you have a car, and people needed license for that. It was like, why not uh, a gun? So I was always in favor of it. And at the same time, it gives people time to have um, to look up like their background, right? Uh, mental health—have they had issues, or they've been—you um, know—creates a cooling-off period, right? So that nobody's making snap judgments. So um, the the ability to um, require background checks, I think, is, is completely essential um and there's uh, when it comes to just the standard that's why it's it's tough that there's um at the federal level we did it at the california level but at the federal level they're not for it right a lot of folks um not not i would say all democrats are for background checks it's the republicans who are not for background checks and then and, uh, and some specific um senators so it is um But I think it's an idea that time has come and we got to pass a national backgrounds check um, as soon as we get beyond this, uh, you know, this president. And in the first 100 days, I hope we do something like that.
1: Yeah, thank you for covering this topic. I know it's like really fragile and very heavy. And as you said that like youth is very targeted, especially with mental health. So thank you for that. And considering the fact that you moved up in office, what are some changes that you would like to see?
3: Um, the ghost gun issue is a big issue. Um, that's something that I want to I want to see uh, done. Um, there's also the background checks, universal background checks. Something that we need to do. Um, I would love to see at the national level something like I did regarding like people who knowingly. Leave a gun in a location. The assault, uh, assault uh, weapons ban. I think we need to uh, reinstate that. That's something that, that was in place before had a big impact. Um, so you know, and and it would be um, it would be a, a, a big step forward if if we did those things. And just so that all of you know, it's um, I, I have friends uh, or had friends. You um, know, I grew up. It seems like a long time ago, but I had somebody. I think when I was in middle school, this, this when the idea of a kid being knowing left alone with the gun. um, This uh, I can't remember his name, but I remember his face. He, um, him and his friend were playing at his house, and he must have shown that, uh, shown his his friend the his dad's shotgun or was showing him uh, his dad's guns, and uh, he accidentally shot his friend. And um, the kid was uh, freaked out and, and devastated, and he turned and, and shot himself and killed himself. Right, That was something that uh, happened when I was in, in middle school, I remember to this day. There's one other kid who, um, when I was in high school, he was his name was James Long, best guy ever. Everybody liked him, he was cool. Um, I knew him from my days in uh, elementary school. And um, he was dating this girl and he he was really infatuated with her and, and loved her. And he, um, you know, he uh, she broke, they broke up for some whatever reason. He was devastated by it. Um, he was drinking, uh, doing drugs, and he took a, a gun and, and, and killed himself. Um, so limiting access to like, kids having access to their, their parents' guns. That's, that's who they, that's where they got their guns from. They didn't get it from buying it off the street. They don't have $350, $500 or a hundred dollars, whatever it cost to buy the gun back then. They just, they got access to their parents' guns. Um, so, um, that is something we got to seriously look at. Um, and then help kids with, um, if they have, uh, an emo, like mental health issue, and a lot of people don't like talking about it back then. Maybe it's a little easier now that they get can get the help, even if it's for something that you know a lot of people would say, "Oh, you you and your girlfriend broke up. Don't worry about it. Another you know you'll find another girlfriend or whatever." Um, for him, it was the end of the world, right? And uh, and uh, he ended up taking his life. So that's something I think we gotta we gotta do is really help kids um with coping with stressful situations um uh, people in high school with just life and then help them so that they don't um uh you know take their take their own lives but having access to a gun makes it a lot a lot easier for them to do that unfortunately
0: yeah before this we were just talking about how our mental health students mental health is so important in high school especially yeah. and going way beyond that because what we noticed during this pandemic is how stressed out a lot of our peers are and it mm-hmm. created us because we're like what the heck like the anxiety that a lot of students are feeling is insane at that level at the age yeah. that we are now and what we're noticing too or what's biggest trend that we realized in gun violence is actually suicide and yeah. we, and personally, I've gone to a bunch of like seminars about it. And yeah. it's crazy that these guns were just in the house and that the kids had that easy access yeah. to it. Like, it's kind of yeah. mind-blowing.
3: Yeah. And that's why you have to have some penalty for people that knowingly leave their gun somewhere uh, they can get it. Um, I, th- I believe in like, you know, trigger locks or, or putting them in safes and uh, requiring having those kind of requirements. Um, because yeah a lot of kids are it's I think it's one of the it's uh, the American Pediatric Association says it's a big big issue and and during the pandemic people are like kids are, are and grown-ups just like grown-ups are, are stressed about it and probably it's because they're seeing their parents stressed about it um, so we, we definitely need to tackle that and then and then reassure high schoolers that, that you know, and younger people that you're, you're still gonna have a future. You're still gonna be able to graduate, go to college. Might not be exactly at first how you want it, but you will get there um, and get you the help you, you need, um, right? And not stress you out about debt, and not stress you out about um, kind of what my future is gonna look like. Um, all of that's all of that's connected. But keeping the guns away, uh, making sure that if they're in the home, they're they're locked away is 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 paramount.
2: Yeah, I think it's really important. And going back to like how um, most of the, most people in low-income communities they have guns because they feel unsafe. Like low-income communities are the places where they're, that are most targeted. So people have like parents have guns to feel safe. And now imagine having a kid like feel stressed at this time. Like it's just really, it's really awakening. So I think yeah, it's really important to have that.
3: Yeah, and imagine that now that the kids are at home, right? Maybe the parents in these lower-income neighborhoods, they're more in the service industry or they have to go to work. They don't have the luxury of going on Zoom and working from home, right? Um, and, they're, and their kids are left at home unattended. That's a, that's a recipe for, for disaster. That's why it's, um, I believe in, in gun laws and making sure that there there is – Specific re- requirements if somebody's going to own a gun, but also making sure that it doesn't get into the wrong people's hands, and then making sure that kids are um, and uh, kids in high school and in middle school and, and elementary are um, looked after. Right, the mental health aspect is 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 critical.
1: Yeah, and I think all these barriers, like within our current situation, I think those are like very vital factors to why the gun rate the homicide rates are so high right now so um what have you been doing to kind of contribute or participate in um communities within your district for our current situation which is COVID?
3: yeah no in, in the situation right now is covet i've been um, we've been trying to help families to not deal with um, just the the stress right so we passed the cares act to make sure that people got money extended unemployment but it expired and we passed the heroes act the democrats to to help um extend it again rent relief help people pay uh, stop eviction moratoriums and all that and it was a battle with the republicans throughout the throughout the um summer to now when we finally passed a new package that is um and it's targeted right i believe in this idea of equity six hundred dollars per um per parent six hundred dollars per child so if it's a family of four that's twenty four hundred dollars but they also get money for unemployment an extra three hundred dollars per week on top of the max amount is 450 right so each all of it adds up you know we provide food stamps and we provide um more meals but also I'm um, trying to make sure that people understand that um, there is gonna be that that safety net and it's not adequate at all you know I'm a, I'm a co-sponsor of a bill called the emergency money for the people act it's two thousand dollars per month for anybody who makes under a dollars a year and that's one of the things that we've been um, pushing for um, pushing for is to get that that done um, Even when the Republicans, they always talked about a good game about they were supporting it. Um, Some of them were, a lot of them weren't. I would say 90% of them weren't. So doing that, but then also going to each community to do like uh, food pantry giveaways, um, COVID testing sites, uh, face, you know, giving away masks and hand sanitizers, stuff like that during the pandemic, and going to the areas hardest um, hit just to tell people that we're there and then I also have my staff instead of you know we get a lot of calls that we want you to do this or do that or do that Um, I told my staff to focus on needs you know I need help with my rent I need help with my medication I need help with food right because that's where like right now people need help there's no one should be starving right now in, in, in the United States um, there should no, no one should be starving. Um, the pantries were, food pantries were running low because the Republicans and uh, Democrats hadn't agreed to a new COVID relief package. We finally agreed to that. So that's better, but um, that was just a down payment. We got to do absolutely more in helping um, these families during the pandemic. And and the best, and here's the thing, when you have your chance, you're, you're um, you're in the, what they call the least, uh, you know, uh, less risk category. Um, e- when you get a chance to take um, the vaccine, encourage people to, you know, take the vaccine. When your parents have a chance to take the vaccine, encourage them to take the vaccine. Because it's the only way we're going to get out of this is if we get 70 to 80 percent of our population to take it. Um, so that, that's what I would encourage you. And, and here's the thing. Um, especially kids of immigrant parents you're, you, um, who don't really speak the language, you have more influence over your parents than you think, um, especially when, uh, when you want to have influence over your parents. So um, make sure you encourage them to take the vaccine when they get a chance.
0: Yes, thank you so much for that. And the vaccine, I think, backing off of what you said, it's one of the most important or ways to combat what's happening right now. And then all the reliefs, like the stimulus checks, I think that's super important to give out right now as well.
3: Yeah, yeah um, the stimulus checks were a big deal. And what happened, and here's one of the things, what happened, um, the Republicans didn't want to give stimulus checks to mixed in, mixed status households. So mixed status is if, if, I like your parents, one of them was a U.S. citizen with Social Security number and the other one was not. Well, and then you had... Um, kids that were U.S. citizens, what the Republicans did, they, and it was just dis, disgraceful. They could have just said, hey, we're going to just give people who are people who have social security numbers, we're going to give them the money, but not the, the person who is not documented. No, they didn't. They decided to even make it worse. They said, OK, we're going to make sure that the entire family doesn't get anything. Right. So they, that's what they did in, in the spring. So that was the twelve hundred dollars. We fixed it, Democrats pushed that the entire family got it, but we ended up only getting that the, um, the person who has social security numbers get it, right? But we made it retroactive to the first set of stimulus checks. So a family who is a mixed status will now get, the, everyone with social security number will get that $1,200 or what was owed to them back. And then they will get $600 per person with social security numbers now. So um, and then there's some folks so so they don't have to worry that they're not going to get that money. They're going to get that money. But it's something that we we wanted to do. But we believe that we had to. we were fighting for two thousand dollars. It was going to be more robust in the stimulus payments or the survival checks. Um, but we're going to get more once uh, Joe Biden gets in, for sure. And that's just to relieve the stress on the parents, relieve the stress on the kids, right? Because, as you know, it's not just the stress of the parents. It's also the stress of the kids because uh, spending so much time, um, the family spending so much time together, they can they can sense it. So,
0: yes, I honestly cannot wait till Biden in um, the presidency that so we can see all uh. the progress that he's going to make and all the changes. It's so exciting after these four years. Yeah. Um, but wrapping up, I want to thank you again. And also one last question would be, what kind of advice would you give to upcoming generations who are wanting to be in politics and want to join Congress? And just as you said, in when you're telling us a little, about, a little bit about your background, who will yeah. see all these injustices and want to make those changes?
3: Uh, first and foremost, you have to understand why you want to do it, right? Because you can make change and you can support your community. Through a variety of um, ways, I was helping workers when I was, you know, when I was working for Hilda Solis and she was a member of Congress, right? And I was fighting and 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 veterans and people in the community helping with their 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 benefits. I helped my community fight for uh, by electing, helping elect, working on campaigns and helping elect people who I thought represented my values, understood the working class, the immigrant community. Um, and then I work for labor unions to empower workers. Right. So it's everything you do is a it's a means to an end and not an end itself. So the end you shouldn't see elected office as a as oh I want to just be an elected official because I want to be uh, the person speaking up at the podium or be the elected official. What do you want to do with it is the question. Right. Um, and then. And then that's kind of, and when you do that, when you when you kind of understand what you want to do, then you you're, it doesn't matter where you end up. Maybe you will end up as an elected official, great. But maybe you will have more influence if you care about healthcare. If you're the head of a hospital, right? Or you're uh, head of a, you become a doctor, or you want to fight for criminal justice reform and you want to make sure that uh, we change those lives and black lives matter in a real way in our laws, then you become an attorney and an advocate, right? So it really depends on what you want to do. Um, but if you want to run for office, when you do all that leading up to it, then you'll have something to run on, right? You'll be able to say, I've done X, Y, and Z. And um, and then you'll be able to represent your your, your community. I have no doubt, like, if if one of you run in the future, then you'll be hopefully you'll be running on gun control. Like I believe in gun control, and I'm this is what I'm going to do to end violence, and I'm going to do this to help younger people, right? That is uh, that makes a more powerful, uh, not only uh, story when you campaign, but it also makes you somebody who's grounded in a personal in a in a set of beliefs. So once you get to office, you make your decisions based on those beliefs. You know, I'm a son of immigrants. I make my decisions based on that immigrant experience, based on a worker's perspective, based on not having healthcare, based on the fact that, you know, I have a gay brother who I saw bullied when I was getting older, right? I make my decisions from my personal experiences and how do I kind of um, right the wrongs of those that I witnessed through that experience. Um, So that's why when you, if you wanna run for office, think of it in those terms, right? And um, of course there's other things there are the the, the nuts and bolts of running, but um, keep in mind, whatever your passion is, that's what you should focus on. And then, um, but I do believe in experience. Like, so even if it's a a little experience, I do believe in, in that experience, but, and then, Take, take your shot. Always get involved. Run a campaign. Take your shot. But in, in campaigns, you, you people don't get a, a lot of opportunities to run because it is a brutal process. Oftentimes, people run, they lose, they don't want to go through it again because it was not pleasant. Um, so, uh, uh, just pick and choose your, your your opportunity. But always remember that you're doing it for your your, your community, for your family, and, and to make things better for for your state in your country
2: yeah I definitely think it's really important like making sure what you want like being aware of what you want because that's what like us teams at times don't often take in consideration we are like oh I want to become a doctor and help people but you don't really take in consideration like what you want to do exactly like oh I want to target this place or I want to target this and that's what we're supposed to be thinking since we're young like we should be already thinking what we actually want to be targeting who we want to help and, and what exactly yeah. We want to do. so yeah I yeah.
3: it's also okay not to really know remember remember my story where i was like oh i wanted to be a doctor because of x but i i'll be honest i always thought about government and how it helped like it was giving me an opportunity to change my life how i appreciated this country um how i saw these opportunities right that that sometimes when you're here when you're in this country you're like oh like you know it sucks that we have to take out student loans and all this stuff, and and people in Europe, you know, get free education. It's like, well, yeah, but they, then the likelihood of them ever moving up in life is is oftentimes limited. Or Mexico, I my family's experiences from Mexico, and I can tell you this, it would have been very very different, very very different. Um, it got better over the last twenty years, but it still would have been a very different experience. Um, Uh, and and life for me um so it here there's still you want to look at things and say okay what can I do to to fix it but sometimes you don't know sometimes your skill set doesn't match up with what you want to do right I was good I I probably would have been a decent doctor but I'm a better politician and elected official than I am a doctor um I think I would have been a, a great baseball player, but my, I wasn't that great of a baseball player. I was decent, but not that great. So um, it, I think, but if you also have to have passion for it, passion, skills, and and sometimes just the the moment. Um, but I know that give it time. Don't and like I said, you don't have to know what you want exactly, but you're expressing yourselves through a de- bunch of different. Um, uh, you know, paths and, and outlets, and and this podcast is is pretty cool. Um, we couldn't do this back in my day; floppy disk didn't work. <laughs> we didn't have cameras on phones.
2: Yeah, that's what our parents tell us nowadays. we're Like, be grateful that we, you have this nowadays. I didn't. Even like, oh. I'm your, just like Your
3: parents are probably my
2: age. Well, I think older.
3: <laughs> okay. Good. Good. <laughs>
2: But Anything yeah, just, else? we just want to conclude it here. We want to thank you once again for just hopping in with us and taking time out of your day because I know it's like a really harsh time right now. So we just wanted to thank you once and for all again for coming in. And we had a great time talking to, to you. Yeah.
3: No, thank you, uh, all of you, just for inviting me. And um, it really helped. Honestly, it's helping me kind of take my mind off things. Um, you know, it was a traumatic experience and a lot of, uh, people say that they're glad that members of Congress went through it because, um, know what young people went through with, with these, uh, gun violence in their schools. Um, I didn't need to go through it to understand the gun violence in the, in, in the schools. And, um, but it's definitely, um, I hope, and unfortunately, I don't think it will be, but I hope it is some, um, learning, uh, something that people can learn from um, on the other side of the aisle or people who don't believe in figuring out how to have some reasonable gun control laws put in place. But uh, they might be taking the opposite lesson from it, which is more guns solves the problem, which I don't agree with. But thank you so much for doing this. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, thank you for the insight on your end. It was very enlightening to hear from somebody that's like actually in office.
3: Thank you.
0: Yes, thank you so much, Congressman. Um, And this was Three Home Girls, No Gun. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And make sure to follow our our Instagram at Three Home Girls, No Gun to keep up to date. Thank you so much, and have a good day.